Um, if you're new to the church, my name is Shane Rosty. I'm a relatively new pastor here, and everybody is, is uh, very gracious enough to um, uh, put up with me so far. Yes, amen. All right. Um, and so uh, I want to tell you, I started in ministry really as a college pastor, as a college pastor. And uh, something about college students taught me a lot about trust. And uh, I'll never forget, I had a leadership team, and there was this guy on this leadership team, and his name was Mike. And we started doing this activity. Maybe some of you have done it in camp. It's called a trust fall. Anybody know what a trust fall is? I see some giggling, okay? Well, Mike got really excited about a trust fall, and so he started rallying students to come up and to do trust falls, and he got super excited one time, and he stood at the edge of a ledge on a, kind of a banister, and he stood there, and he was, one of the most important things about a trust fall, by the way, so you know, is that you call out, are you ready, team? But Mike, in his excitement to trust the other students, forgot to say, are you ready, team? And so as many of them were checking their Facebooks and their tweets, he stood at the top of the banister and he went down full force. Man, he was a very trusting guy. He nailed his head on the back of a, uh, of a metal thing. It was a whole deal. But I always appreciated the level of trust that he offered a very undeserving group of college students. But it makes me think, how much more deserving of trust is our God? How much more? And see, there's this principle in Christianity. There's a lot of people that say they believe the right things. There's a lot of people that know doctrine. They've read the Bible back to front, but they still struggle with trust. Amen? Still struggle when God calls them out to taking leaps of faith. And so we're going to see today in the book of Mark that Jesus is going to give the disciples an opportunity to practice faith, and they fail miserably. But thank goodness that he's faithful. And his mercies are new every morning. I've told, I've told myself that today, and uh, I've told a few that today. So let's dive into the book of Mark. If you've got a Bible, um, turn to the book of Mark. And we've been going through the book of Mark, which is a gospel. And it's one of four gospels that are all eyewitness accounts of the same story, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And Mark, in particular, was written to force the listener to make a decision on who they believe Jesus is. So the question posed to all of you this morning and this entire uh, series has been, who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? And we've been through an incredible journey. He's been, we've seen that he's king, that he has authority over evil. He has authority over our well-being and our health. We see that he has the power to forgive us on behalf of God. We've seen that Jesus is the stronger man than the stronger um, Satan, and we know that he's strongest. We see that Jesus was the firstborn of many brothers. We've seen that he's the sower of incredible truth. We've seen that he's the teacher who understands humanity better than we understand ourselves. We've seen that he is a kingdom builder, and the kingdom is a, a place that reveals things in the darkness that is an incredible growing movement by the hands of God that starts small and grows to incredible portions. Those are amazing truths, amen? That's our Lord. That's my Savior. Today, we're going to look at, now that we've built this big repertoire of what we know Jesus is, who he says he is, the question posed is, are we going to trust who 
So I'm going to jump into this passage, Mark 4. Mark 4, we're going to start in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And so our first point is going to be get in the boat, but I'm going to keep reading here. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Storms will come. But he will be, uh, but he was in the storm, in the stern, excuse me, asleep on, a, on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So we're going to find out the faith peace. So let's head back up, and I want to talk about the beginning. So we know Jesus has been preaching, and where was he preaching from? From a boat, right? We talked about this. If you want to be heard, get in a boat on the side of a lake. And you ever heard conversations from people like on the complete other side of the lake? It's kind of this amazing thing about... Um, so. Uh, the acoustics of, of lakes is that you can hear really well. So Jesus was preaching from the boat. He turns to his disciples, said, let us go across to the other side. Everybody say the other side. Okay, so let's talk about this idea of getting in the boat with Jesus. If you're following Jesus, you will be put into situations that challenge you. There's this kind of this idea that we live life with Christ, that there's no aspect of our life that is separated from him. How many of you can sometimes go a full day and not think about how Jesus is right with you, the Holy Spirit with you? Can you go full, a whole day? I think many of us very easily can go a whole day or a whole week or sometimes a whole month not thinking about this fact that Jesus is walking with us. In fact, Jesus doesn't want to just be with us, but he wants to direct our path. He wants to, he wants to be not just in the boat with us, but directing the boat and where it goes. And disciples, if you think about, they up until this point have really trusted Jesus with a lot. Agreed? They left their jobs. They left their livelihood to go and to follow this crazy guy that started calling himself God. From the outside looking in, you guys would say, disciples, you're crazy. You're crazy. But they decided to put their life in the boat with Jesus. Now, how many of us need to do that? Man, I've had a lot of faith conversations this last week with different people. And a lot of people that know all of the right things, they know Jesus died on the cross for them. They believe, they believe that he was a historical figure. But yet, when I ask them, what keeps you from putting your full trust in Jesus? They say, I struggle to trust that that's all true. How many of us struggle to then put our livelihoods in the boat with Jesus? In the boat with Jesus. <clears throat> this means... Sometimes taking kingdom-minded risks. If you're taking notes, put kingdom-minded risks. And there's this sense that when we jump in the boat with Jesus, sometimes he's going to take us into something that's going to feel way over our head. How many of you have had an experience like that? Where you jump in the boat with Jesus and you're like, yes! Well, I think of kingdom-minded risks. I was, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to use, where's Lorraine at? Lorraine, 
I'm going to point you out. Don't get too, too embarrassed here. But Lorraine stepped into a place of, I think, faith of risk for her when she joined me on Wednesday nights helping out with youth discussion. So she, she's like, Shane, I, I don't know how to engage with these youth, and I'm terrified, but I know that that's where God wants me right now. And so she jumped. How many of you, like, teenagers make you? Some teenagers are raising your hand, right? We used to coin the term in my youth group, awkward is awesome. Okay, we just owned it. Like, teenagers are awkward. Really, all human beings are awkward. Can I get an amen with that? Um, but there was this kind of the sense where Lorraine's like, I want to jump into the boat with Jesus, and he's going to have me do things that sometimes feel a little uncomfortable. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I trust him. That's what a life of faith looks like, where you come by, sometimes you're going to be stepping into things, doing things uh, that Jesus wants you to do, that you're like, I don't feel fully equipped to do that. That's a life of faith, getting in the boat with Jesus. See, sometimes you have to do something or invest in someone. How many of you have had those conversations or those opportunities where you know Jesus is pressing on you? You can feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to talk to a person. You ever been there? How many of you have missed that opportunity? Where you're like, you're like, should I, should I not, should I, should I not? If you're asking the question, should I, by the way, you probably should. Right, where, where you're like, you know this is your opportunity and you miss it. Again, thank the Lord that his mercies are new every morning. He will give us a new opportunity. But what if we as a church started trusting our lives and getting in the boat with Jesus and having some of those, taking some of those opportunities to discuss faith with others? What would happen if we did that? I think there would be a Jesus movement in Fremont County like we had not seen before. Try something that you know Jesus would want you to do. What does it mean to get in the boat with Jesus? So he's getting done preaching. They're living everyday life with Jesus. And you think about, man, that's why we as Christians study the life of Jesus. And there was this old caveat. I don't know if it's still popular, but many of you have probably heard it. WWJD. I think that still holds true today, amen? What would Jesus do? So when you wake up in the morning, is your first thought WWJD? No, it's like I need a bagel and some coffee, right? If you're like me, right? But then after your bagel and your coffee, it should be, what would Jesus do? What if we gave every day? You said you laid up, you woke up in the morning, and you laid your life at the feet of our Christ, of our King, and said, today, my life belongs to you. I'm jumping in the boat with Jesus. What if you gave every day to him? What would happen? Oh, Shane, I don't know. That sounds kind of spooky. That sounds kind of scary. What if he asked me to do something that I'm uncomfortable with? Well, did you read the rest of the story? They're going to wind up in a storm because they got in the boat with Jesus. Because you're jumping in the boat with Jesus doesn't mean that life is going to be really easy and there's no fear or, or circumstance ahead of you. It's going to be this potential storm. And I want to pose this to you as a church here. We have small groups. We have homeless outreach. We have children's and youth ministry. We have prayer ministry. We have hospitality ministry and a bunch of things that we don't know yet what our church is supposed to do because you haven't started it. What if we jumped in the boat with Jesus and asked as a church, God, what do you want my life to How would that impact this church? How would that impact this church? What if we called everybody off of the bench? Because in the kingdom of God, there really is no bench. And what if everybody jumped in, rolled up their sleeves, and got to work together for the kingdom of God and worship of Christ? I think something pretty special would happen. What if we as a church got in the boat with Jesus? Sometimes that means stumbling into something awesome when 
uh, when you're in the boat of life with Jesus. And here's what, sometimes it's not always storms. There's promises in Scripture that tell us that there's some blessing, there's an abundant life if you jump in the boat with Jesus. But it means you've got to put everything in that boat. Sometimes it's going to produce lifelong friendships and connections and missions. I think uh, some of you guys know a guy named Lance. Um, I met Lance when he was in college, and I was walking, prayer walking a campus at Sheridan College, um, and I see the buddies of Lance, maybe some of them you don't know, but I remember seeing Lance and God saying, hey, you need to go talk to that guy. And I went and talked to Lance, and we forged a four-year friendship. And then uh, eventually I got to go to his distant, uh, well, his new relative's um, church here where he's connected. Another guy I met, I'll never forget, uh, he was very quiet, he was very nervous at college, and I remember God saying, hey, you need to go talk to this guy, his name is Dan, and as I talked to him, he was very, anybody ever have a conversation with Jesus where they're kind of like, I'm not interested, bro, is that just me? But I was like, you know, I'm going to share with this guy anyway. I don't know why God wanted me to come talk to him. And then later on in the semester, he came to me and he said, Shane, I need meaning and purpose in my life. And as I began to invest in this kid's name's Dan's life, I found out that he was gifted in evangelism. And so as he grew in his relationship with Jesus, he ended up leading, I think, man, 10, 15 people to Jesus. He went on to be a doctor. Even today, he's like, I want to go on the missions field. I want to be a doctor so I can have lots of money to give to the missions field. And Dan became one of the greatest evangelists I've ever seen come from my ministry, all because I wanted to have an awkward conversation or because God led me to an awkward conversation. Uh, there was another young lady, uh, and I'll never forget this. Her name was Allie and is Allie. And uh, I'll never forget, she was very confrontational. So she would sit in the back on our Bible study meetings, and she'd sit in the very back. And as I was praying, as I got done with a Bible study lesson, I knew God was calling me to go talk to this lady, but she was putting out vibes like, if you come to me, I'm going to punch you. I was like, really, Lord, you want me to go talk to her? You know that look, like daggers? And, and so I went and I talked to her, and I sat down, and I was like, Allie, I just feel like the Lord is telling me to come talk to you, and I don't know why. And she sat there and stared at me angrily. She said, I'm so mad at God. And she, as we began to talk, and I'll never forget, uh, I said, well, Allie, if you have any questions, I shared the gospel with her. I tried to give her a Bible. She said no. I said, if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer those when you're in a better time. And I'll never forget, she looked at me. She says, I can't leave right now. Something's not letting me leave. And I was like, well, that's weird. And I, I just remember that I was sitting, and I was staring at her. She was staring at me, and it was 30 minutes. And I was like, if, if God's not letting you leave, the pastor better not go, Right? And so I'm, gonna, she's, I said, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to pray for you. And as I sat there and I prayed for her in complete silence, complete awkwardness for 30 to 45 minutes, and I just prayed for her and just waited for God to do something. You know how uncomfortable that was? In that moment, I was like, Jesus, I want to jump out of the boat. This is uncomfortable. And as I prayed for her and I sat there, something broke. And it was like from then on, she joined our ministry. She came to faith in Jesus. She became a social worker. She's working in Casper now. God did incredible things delivering her, but man, I'll tell you, it was very awkward in that moment. But it was at that moment, I was like, Jesus, I'm going to jump in the boat. If you're going after Allie, then that's where I need to go. Who's your Allie? Who is your Allie? What is it going to mean? See, I think one, one of the ways you can call the boat of Jesus is the church. It's also called the bride of Christ, where Jesus' people are so, uh, where Jesus' people are, there he is. 
Um, we know that from Scripture. And so there's kind of this idea is we are the church. We're here. This is Jesus' boat. Have you jumped in yet? There's a danger when you get a new pastor church. There's a danger where you would ask the question, I'm going to kind of wait and see how things play out. I'm going to really humbly ask you, can we skip that stage? Because the kingdom of God is too important for us to wait. And you know what? I'm going to mess up as a pastor. Your elders, we're human beings. We're doing our best to follow Jesus. But I want to ask you, would you jump in the boat with me? Don't hold back. Put your full life in the boat with Jesus. And here's what I can tell you. Jesus is going to do incredible things if we don't hold back. See, he was going to cross over to the other side and do an incredible work. But before, there was a storm coming. And we know when we jump into the boat with Jesus, uh, that storms may come. It's often much better to be in the storms. Do we know storms of life happen pretty naturally for all of us? Yes? Right? Whether you're in the boat with Jesus or not in the boat with Jesus, storms are still going to come. I'll tell you what. I want to face storms with Jesus in the boat, not on my own. It's often much better to be in a storm that happens when following Jesus instead of the deserved storms of natural consequence that we brought on ourselves. Do we have any of those storms? Anybody believe in natural consequences? Anybody painfully experience natural consequences from your own decisions? Either way, storms will come. See, there's two types of storms. There's a, a storm with Jesus, and there's storms that we face alone. By the way, any time in your journey, in your life, when storms are in your life, do you know that storm can become a storm that you're facing with Jesus and not alone? All it takes is the humility to say that I cannot face that alone. At any point, these become, become storms with Jesus. Now, as the disciples, you saw, they looked. They looked and the winds were coming and this storm was breaking. Anybody ever seen a storm on a lake or been in a boat when you're on a when there's a storm going on, you're rowing, it starts getting kind of panicky. If you've ever been like on a paddleboard, it's terrifying. The storm comes and you can't move. You're just paddling as fast as you can and it's out of control. See, the disciples were looking at this storm and they were beginning to freak out. How many of you have begun to freak out when the storms of life come? You do that thing where you just, your mind starts racing about different solutions. What can I do? How do I get out of this? Anybody ever been gripped by terror of the storms that are present in your life? What's, uh, I, I often ask, man, what's the worst thing that could happen sometimes in those storms? And sometimes that's, that answer is kind of scary, isn't it? But most of the time, through it, uh, most of the time, though it may come with pain and hurt, with Jesus, we will be okay for every, any storm, no matter the severity of the storm. We know it's going to work out okay if we're walking with Jesus' will. I just, I, I love the, the question the disciples pose. You see it here? Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? How many of you have asked that of Jesus in your life? Jesus, do you even see what's going on with me? I'll never forget when my brother was diagnosed with cancer and I walked up the stairs and caught my mom, who's a pillar of my faith, weeping. And she said, uh, Shane, I don't even know why I pray because God, it seems, is going to do what he wants despite my prayer. If I could have taken my mom and fast forward her through all of the pain and hurt and arrival, we would have seen then that, that God used my brother's cancer to draw my dad to faith. But at that time, she saw the storm and struggled. Have you ever been like that with the disciples? Can you relate to them? Don't you care, Lord, that we are going to die? Notice he didn't answer the question. Notice he didn't answer the question. Why do you suppose that is? Let me propose, perhaps he cares more about their eternity than their death. Maybe they were asking the wrong question. 
Don't you care, Lord, that we are perishing? And his care is so much higher and so much greater than what they were facing. See, a perspective on eternity gives perspective on the storms, doesn't it? If you have an eternal perspective, if you realize, and I think I've used this example before with us as a church, but if I was holding a rope that symbolized, and I get this from Francis Chan, if I was holding a rope and this rope went all the way down and it just kept going on forever, and I had a little piece of the rope that was marked right here and right here, and this rope went all the way down and outside of the auditorium, And this little part right here of the rope that goes forever represents what? Your life. Your life. And so many of us spend so much time toiling right here in this part of our life so that we can have a good retirement. Boy, in the perspective of eternity, it seems so much less important, doesn't it? And so when we have storms or trial or things that set back, we think, oh man, this part of my life right here is hard. But then you stop and you can see all of eternity, it becomes so much smaller, doesn't it? And that's why God calls us to have a heavenly mindset. He says, he tells us, set your mind on things above, doesn't he? There's this sense that things don't rock us like they would because we have an eternal perspective. Jesus has an eternal perspective for his disciples here. If this is all there was, then my motivation for life would be to fight and to get everything that I can in this life. You've heard the saying, eat, drink, be merry for what? Tomorrow I die. So there's this sense that if you're living just for this small piece of your eternity, you're missing out on the big picture. And see, Jesus wants you and wants to give you opportunities in this small part of your existence to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. Isn't that incredible? You can make an eternal down down payment to yourself in heaven by jumping in the boat with Jesus and taking deep... um, Steps of faith. If this is a short, if this is a short stop before eternity, then this is momentary affliction. And this is where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. This is what I was telling myself last night when my kid was throwing up. Uh, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Does that make sense? Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Preparing us for, the, for an eternal weight of glory beyond things that are, un, beyond things that are unseen. So how do we respond to the storms of life? How we respond to the storms of life display what our faith is in. If it's in Jesus, then we have peace. And here's where the Bible can make a promise to us that faith equals peace, that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding, that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 15. So this is carried on down lower in the passage. Since we have the same spirit of faith, Paul says, the spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake that, As grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What is Paul saying here? It's a spirit of faith 
actually trusting and living and speaking out of this idea that what we say we truly believe. It's a picture of a childlike faith, isn't it? I love this picture because it's a dad catching his kiddo. How many of you have ever done this? How many dads have thrown your kid way farther or way higher than you probably should have? There's a lot of trust there, right? And kids don't panic. But how many of you have ever noticed that sometimes your kids, I think of my son Gideon, he loves to jump, climb, and jump. Like those are his two skills, climb and jump. And he always loves to jump at me when I'm not paying attention, much like Mike did. Uh, Instead of warning me, he jumps, right? Because there's this great deal of trust. He trusts me to catch him. Did you guys know that you all displayed great faith when you walked in here? How many of you walked over and made sure that that chair was going to hold your whole weight? How many of you checked the pew wasn't going to fall as soon as you placed your weight on it? That was pretty incredible faith. You didn't even question. You didn't even, you didn't stop to check its integrity. You just lay, you just sat down, didn't you? See, that kind of faith is also what we are to have with Jesus. It's this childlike faith that would jump knowing that he's going to catch us. Matthew 18.3 says, and, and, and so this is Jesus, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 13.7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Here's not the fun one, endures all things. There's this sense, uh, I think that describes childlike faith, doesn't it? How we walk with God. We don't question, we just move forward with where he's leading us. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, so further on in the passage says, So so now faith, everybody say that with me, faith, hope, and love abide in these three, but the greatest of these is love. See, what is Jesus doing when they're in the storm? What was he doing? He's the perfect model of faith, isn't he? Of course, he's Jesus, but he's trying to show us what is faith, what is trust in God. He's sleeping on a cushion in the middle of a storm. This is where you get passages like Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Anybody anxious? Anybody have anxiety? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace, everybody say peace. Of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Hey, by the way, did you know it's not faith if you've never relied on Him? Many of us in the American church, the Western church, we've done everything in our power to make sure that we're not dependent on anybody else, haven't we? Boy, that's the Wyoming mantra. I grew up with put your boots on, right? Like, let's do this, let's do it on our own. But that's not Jesus' way. See, faith and the practice of faith is doing things that you have to rely on Jesus for. Faith is only as good, by the way, as what it's in, isn't it? Many of you are glad to know that the pews can carry your weight. Today, there's mantra today that you should just have faith. You ever heard that? Oh, I have faith. Faith in what? Right? Faith is only as good as what is in. And we, the believers of, of the followers of Jesus, have faith in Jesus. He's, the disciples here have seen Jesus do pretty amazing things thus far, yeah? But yet they still struggle to place their full weight and care in his hands. Yet they see him sleep. Peace that surpasses all understanding. That's what I want. Amen, church? That's a peace that overcomes anxiety because it's focused on Jesus, not on us. If your faith is in you, you're going to fail. If your faith is in people, they're going to fail. Your faith is in Jesus. You will always ring true. Anxiety is a product of you believing that the outcome 
is your responsibility. I want you to, to hear that. Anxiety, which has eclipsed depression in our society today, is a product of you believing that the outcome is your responsibility. I want you to think about that. The disciples, I got to keep myself alive. I'm in a storm. They thought it was up to them to keep themselves alive. How many of you take on the responsibility of how your kids will turn out? Anybody terrified? If you're a parent and you're not terrified, you're not parenting, right? But there's this sense that we as parents need to turn our kids over to Jesus and know uh, no matter, and I've had some of the best Christian parents I know and their kids have not done well in the faith, right? So sometimes you can do everything right and still have everything go wrong. You have to trust Jesus with your kids. And for those of you who think, if I just do all of the right things in parenting, my kids are gonna be amazing, I'm praying for you right now. But the amount of anxiety that you must carry on your shoulders, uh, your kids, and how they turn out is 100% up to you. And that's where the Bible says, do you worry about how you will eat or what you will say. Matt 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. How many of you truly believe that? Okay, how many of you say you believe that, but you have to choose to believe that when it comes time to actually put the kingdom first? See, Catholics struggle with this idea that we will obey simply focusing on Jesus. But we know that love is a greater motivator than fear. Have you ever had uh, an experiment where um, fear, you, you do things out of discipline and out of fear, or you do things like for your boss, like fear of getting fired versus knowing that your, your boss or the person that you're doing work for loves you and that you love them in return or they're glad to do those things? It's a big difference in motivation. Right? Well, there's, there's this sense that we can do things out of a motivation of love. Anxiety melts when you see uh, the solution which is perfect love casts out all fear, doesn't it? Perfect love casts out all and anxiety. Love, I believe, is a condition of trust. Would you agree? If you, it's, it's tough to love somebody that you don't trust and vice versa. Um, he, he says to the storm, so Jesus stands up and says to the storm, silence and be still, silence and be still. When we know Jesus is in control of our circumstances, we can know it is worth it, even when it hurts See, Christians suffer with a purpose, don't we? There's pain, there's hardship, but we know if we're in the boat with Jesus that it matters. Can you imagine not being in the boat with Jesus and thinking, well, this is just is. It doesn't have a purpose, it's just suffering. How many of you have ever struggled with that thought? This seems like it's for nothing. Every suffering, every hurt, every pain in the kingdom of Christ matters. That's good, isn't it? Every loss matters. Again, a heavenly perspective. So I'm going to jump ahead. I know I'm going a little long here, but I want to leave you with this. A world where Christians actually, what would it be if we lived in a world where Christians actually believed the things that we say we believe about Jesus, okay? I just want to leave you with this. It would change how we live. It would change how we live. We would take kingdom risks, and we wouldn't be worried about things like FOMO. Have you heard this term? Fear of missing out? Young people all have this. My kids, man, you're watching a video. They have to run from across the room because they can't stand the idea of missing out on what was funny. Younger generations deeply struggle with this. FOMO is removed if we understand that there's nothing in this life that we're going to miss out on that isn't going to be better in eternity with Christ. If we trust that we, we will have a perfect eternity with Christ, the pressure to get everything in vanishes, doesn't it? There's no more bucket lists. Uh, what are you going to accomplish in this perfect 
in this imperfect 8,200 years that won't pale in comparison to an eternity of perfection. So it changes how we live. It changes how we give. I think of the widow's might, right? She gave sacrificially. What we are able to give of our life, our money, our resources, our time, our talents. Why? Because we're not living for this life. We're living for eternity. We don't need to keep it for ourselves. This is challenging the Western mindset, isn't it? It changes how we give. Things become his and not ours. No longer do we eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die, but it's tomorrow we live forever so we can give generously today. Next, rest. It changes how we rest. Um, This idea of Sabbath or Sunday when we're supposed to rest in the Lord or give him one day of the week, there's that idea that we need to trust that Jesus is going to make up for that amount of work that we miss. How many of you struggle resting or slowing down? Do you trust that Jesus is going to take care of you if you don't, even if you don't work seven days a week? How many of you struggle going to sleep at night? Anybody? Where your mind races? Uh, well, think about this. It changes how we rest. If we have an eternal perspective, we can rest easy having the peace of the Lord, can't we? And faith changes how we respond in a crisis. We respond with faith instead of what the disciples did. They panicked. This is where I coined the term, preach to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Uh, you've heard the different, the, we respond to a crisis by fight, flight, or flee or freeze. Fight, flight, or free. What if we responded in faith to crises? Um, individual crisis, large-scale crisis like we had with COVID, political crisis in our, in our nation. A Christian should be able to respond with faith. Many respond by fighting or fleeing, but we respond in faith, don't we? So here's, here's the conclusion for us today. So what? So what? Trust Jesus with every aspect of your life, every day. And I just want to leave you, I, I think Jesus does a great job instead of me coming up with a cool conclusion. He, he said it, Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I just want to read this to you. I want you to listen. Lean in on this passage really quick, and we'll close with this passage. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor weep nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Some of you needed to hear that this morning, didn't you? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not, please listen to this, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. It will be anxious about, um, sorry, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious. Sufficient for the day is its own. Brothers and sisters, let me pray for you. And I'm going to leave us, I'll just put these questions up for small groups. I want to pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, we pray, would you help us to enter into a new level of trust with you? God, help us to walk in faith and by faith. 
Lord, knowing that today you've called us to, to walk in sometimes scary ways. We know there will be storms, God, but we trust you to be able and to have the power to calm the storm. Lord, we want to walk with you in those storms and be present with you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray that over our church. If there's somebody here that is fighting storms on their own without you, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. God, that they would jump in the boat with you. Lord, I pray that for my brothers and sisters here. In your